From Maine Public Radio and mainepublic.org, I'm Carol Bousquet with the news on this day in Maine, Tuesday, March 7, 2023. This Day in Maine is made possible by listeners and by Now You're Cooking. Celebrating 23 years of selling cookware, kitchen tools, gadgets, and fine wine on historic Front Street in downtown Bath. Open seven days a week. And by Eastern Basements, a division of Maine-owned Eastern Mold Remediation, offering basement waterproofing solutions. EasternBasements.com. At the end of this month, a federal requirement that prevented people enrolled in Medicaid during the pandemic from losing coverage will expire. That means states will need to determine who is no longer eligible, and Maine's Department of Health and Human Services is estimating that figure to be between 65,000 and 90,000 recipients. The process will take at least a year, and the department says it is launching a campaign to try to ensure people maintain health coverage even if they lose their Medicaid benefits. Patty White reports. The process of determining who is and is not eligible for Maine Care, the state version of Medicaid, is called unwinding, and it begins in April. Each month, DHHS will text, email, and send letters to people currently enrolled to notify them it's time to renew their application. The envelopes will be imprinted with a blue rectangle block. And the message will be, if it's blue, it's time to renew. DHHS Commissioner Jean Lambrew says when all is said and done, up to 90,000 individuals could lose main care coverage. But she says 90 percent of those will likely be able to purchase it elsewhere. We are trying not to create fear and concern among main people. We're trying to create a sense of importance and why this matters. Many people will be able to get coverage through their employers, she says, or through Maine's health insurance marketplace, CoverMe.gov. Lambrew says the department will automatically forward applications from those who are no longer eligible for Maine Care to the insurance marketplace, where staff will reach out directly. Ann Woolison of Consumers for Affordable Healthcare says many will likely qualify for subsidies. As an example, a family of three earning $42,000 annually can find a plan for the parents for as little as forty. $5 a month. Willison says she is worried that some people may unnecessarily lose coverage, especially those with language barriers or who don't have easy access to computers. She's urging current main care recipients not to ignore the renewal notices and to call Consumers for Affordable Health Care's helpline with any questions. Maine saw a 40 percent increase in main care enrollment during the pandemic, which is partly due to Medicaid expansion as well as the pandemic continuous coverage requirement. There are currently about 420,000 enrollees. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Patty White. In its final report to the legislature, a state commission says a streamlined, affordable, paid family medical leave program for all is possible. Senator Maddie Dowtry, co-chair of the commission, says small business owners, those with fewer than 15 employees, would not have to contribute to the program, but their employees could opt in, giving workers and employers a benefit in a tight labor market. And what we're seeing increasingly is that people are not only 
taking unpaid leave and having trouble, you know, with equity within the workforce. But we're also seeing a lot of people just either leaving those companies and have them go to much larger companies. But we're also seeing some folks who like the 181,000 unpaid caregivers are oftentimes just leaving the workforce entirely. So I think this really sort of changes the narrative. The funding structure for a family and medical leave program must still be hammered out. Daughtry and other lawmakers on the commission plan to seek more public input from employees and employers to fine-tune a bill that would create its framework. State lawmakers heard testimony on Tuesday about a proposed constitutional amendment that aims to reverse a nearly 150-year-old decision to stop printing a portion of Maine's constitution related to the Wabanaki nations. Kevin Miller reports. Fifty-five years after Maine separated from the state of Massachusetts in 1820, members of a special commission charged with cleaning up the state's constitution voted to stop printing three sections of the document. One of those sections, known as Article 10, Section 5, required the state of Maine to continue honoring the treaties between Massachusetts and tribes living within the boundaries of the new state. There are scant historical records to explain the decision. But retired lawyer Judson Esty Kendall, who researched the history of the missing language for the Maine Indian Tribal State Commission, believes it reflected the attitudes of the Maine legislature, governor, and courts toward tribal communities at the time. To them, the relationship between the state of Maine and the Wabanaki people was the uh, guardian to ward. State was the guardian and the natives were their wards. And that is a sorry statement about the way people felt at the time, but I think that is probably more what was what was going on. S.D. Kendall was speaking to lawmakers as part of a hearing on a bill from House Speaker Rachel Talbot Ross to reverse that decision. Talbot Ross is proposing to ask Maine voters whether they want to amend the state's constitution to require that Article 10, Section 5 once again be included in any printed copies of the document. After all, Talbot Ross says that decision in 1875 makes it clear that the sections remain, quote, in full force, even though they aren't included in print. My question is, why are we making Maine citizens jump through hoops to find these words? They are in effect. Article 10, Section 7 says so. Isn't it disturbing that we lack transparency in our own Constitution? My answer is yes. Penobscot Nation Ambassador Molly and Dana described the proposed constitutional amendment as a, quote, powerful truth-seeking measure for truth that lives whether we acknowledge it or not. Dana also put the proposal into the context of the ongoing fight for greater state recognition of the sovereignty of the Wabanaki tribes. We have made some really great progress, so why not let these original treaty obligations be seen and printed? The fact that they were hidden sends a message to the tribal nations that the agreements and relationships between the state and our governments and our people are not important or worthwhile. We, of course, sincerely hope that that is not the case and that we can honor the shared history together. Maine Secretary of State Shanna Bellows and Attorney General Aaron Fry both testified in support of the proposed constitutional amendment to restore the tribal treaties language to printed versions of the document. While Fry says there may be differing opinions about why the section was removed nearly 150 years ago, there are no policy or legal reasons for them not to be printed today. Talbot Ross's bill will have to receive support from two-thirds of both chambers of the legislature in order to go out to voters for potential approval. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Kevin Miller. Supporters of a ballot initiative barring foreign governments from electioneering in Maine referendum campaigns are making a push to enact the measure in the legislature instead of sending it to voters in November.
Steve Missler has more. The legislature hasn't enacted a ballot initiative in more than 16 years, but the group Protect Maine Elections is hoping lawmakers will break that streak and join the seven other states that prohibit electioneering by groups owned or controlled by foreign governments. Leading the effort is Republican State Senator Rick Bennett of Oxford, who is also chairman of Protect Maine Elections, the group that will spearhead the referendum campaign should the legislature choose not to ratify the initiative first. And deferring to voters is usually the legislature's default position. It's punted on 20 straight ballot initiatives since 2007. But Bennett believes broad and bipartisan public support for blocking foreign governments from electioneering could be persuasive. This is more more than a public opinion. This is sort of a core value to people. And we think given that, um, that the legislature should lead and uh, the organizers of of the protecting elections effort really believes that we should pass it. Should lawmakers ratify the initiative this session, the issue of prohibiting foreign governments from electioneering and Maine referendums will come full circle. Two years ago, Bennett and other state lawmakers sought to enact a similar ban, only to have it vetoed by Democratic Governor Janet Mills, a move that led supporters to launch the ballot initiative. But it did get very strong support among uh, people who were in leadership then and are in leadership now. Senate President Troy Jackson and House Speaker Rachel Talbot Ross, both Democrats, have signed on to a companion bill, making it clear that any ballot initiatives enacted by the legislature this year won't go into effect until next year, a proposal that Bennett says is tailored specifically for the possible passage of the foreign electioneering ban. And Jackson and Talbot Ross also support the foreign government electioneering ban, but they differ on whether it should be ratified by the legislature instead of sending it to voters. In a statement, Talbot Ross said she supports passing the initiative this session. Jackson, who voted for the first iteration of the foreign government electioneering ban, says he'll push for a public hearing on the initiative, but he says ultimately he supports sending it to voters this November. My vote's always going to be for the referendum process, and and like I said, I've been real consistent on that. I've been real consistent on that on bills that I didn't like. Uh, this one I do like, you know, uh, but I, I just think that, that we, have to, we have to protect the referendum process, and I think we're doing that in this case, too. Jackson added that he won't pressure his caucus to align with his view, but even if the initiative does clear the legislature, it's not certain that Governor Mills has changed her opposition to banning electioneering by companies owned or controlled by foreign governments. According to a statement from her press office, The governor has not yet reviewed the ballot initiative, but plans to weigh in when lawmakers take it up later this session. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Steve Missler. And that's today's Maine News. For more stories, visit mainepublic.org and join us for Maine Calling at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. I'm Carol Bousquet. Thanks for listening.